All right, we are in Colossians chapter 2. want to tell you as we get into this that at different times, I find myself absolutely amazed at where I end up while studying for a message. This last week is a perfect example of that. I started chasing rabbits that I didn't even know existed. I chased them for a long time. I had to bring some other people into the chase just to verify that the rabbit in front of me was real. Now, here's what I mean by that. I discovered something purely by accident as I was studying this past week that exists in the state of New Mexico. At first, I didn't think it was true, so I called a a fellow, one of our elders that grew up in New Mexico, and I asked him if he was aware of this, and took him about 30 seconds to say, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. And so, I have verified this through one of our elders. This is absolute gospel truth for you. The state of New Mexico has a place called the Waste Isolation the Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. Waste Isolation Pilot Plant. For short, they call themselves WIP. Now, on their website, they make some pretty bold declarations like this. They are the nation's only geologic repository for nuclear waste. Now, following that, they make this statement. They have safely disposed of more than 185,000 containers of nuclear waste. And that's just since 1999. They have safely disposed of more than 185,000 containers of nuclear waste. All of that is happening roughly 2,000 feet under the surface of the earth. So they take all of this 2,000 feet below ground and that's where they are leaving all of this nuclear waste. Now, as proud as they are of all of their accomplishments, they are very forthcoming with the fact that they have a significant problem that they are facing. And they've known it since 1981, 1982, and they are trying to address that problem. Their problem is how to warn future generations about what lies beneath the surface. How can they pull that off? They're fully aware of the fact that over the course of the next however many years, language will change. And they know that they need to be making preparations out as far as 10,000 years. 10,000 years to warn people about what lies beneath the surface. So they're, they're really working as hard as they possibly can on this at a place called the Sandia National Laboratory in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Whole bunch of people, call it a think tank if you want to, are getting together to figure out how to warn people 10,000 years from now about what is there. So here's what they're doing right now. They are posting signs in seven different languages. English, Spanish, neither of those are a surprise. They are posting in French, Chinese, Russian, this is interesting to me, Arabic, and Navajo. Now, they're putting all of those languages out, knowing that through the years, some are going to fall off the page, some are going to change, and so they're just hoping that by utilizing those seven, some of those languages will continue. 
They're also trying to figure out diagrams, given the idea that all of those languages could disappear through time. Diagrams that will paint the picture for what they are trying to communicate as far out as 10,000 years. But at the Sandia facility in Albuquerque, they have arrived at this conclusion, and I find this the most intriguing of everything that I was studying on this. No matter how they post their warnings, be that in a picture or be that in text in one of those seven languages, whatever mode they use, they must include four elements, four elements of information. Now take a look at these. I want to encourage you to pull your phone out. If you have the church app, you can open to the app and this is on that. If you don't have the app or even if you do, take a picture of this because we're going to keep coming back to it. So make sure that you have this in mind. Here are their four elements of communication to warn people 10,000 years from now about the danger that lies beneath the surface. The first element is rudimentary information. Their definition, I lifted this right off their website, their definition of rudimentary information, something man-made is here. That's what they're wanting to communicate. Number two, cautionary information. Something man-made is here, and it is dangerous. They have to get both of those things in. Number three, basic information. According to their research, basic information tells what, why, when, where, who, and how. So they're given just all the basics of how this got here, why it's here, how we had to create all of this, and so on. All of that is part of basic information. And the fourth, complex information, which is highly detailed written records, tables, figures, graphs, maps, and diagrams. That is crazy interesting to me. Crazy interesting to me. And let me tell you why. I think they stole that idea from God. I really do. I think they stole that idea right out of the Bible. They never credit God's word, but it appears that that's where they got it. And it may very well be that Colossians chapter 2 was their guide for this. I'll show you what I mean. If you have your Bible open, Colossians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 16. Chelsea, let's just, whenever we don't have scripture up there, bounce back to that slide with all four of those on there. This is verse 16. Here we go. The Apostle Paul writes, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that, are all, that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. 
These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, you may think, I don't see exactly what you're talking about, Phil. Hopefully you will by the time we're done with this. But let me just preface it all by saying, this is a warning that the Apostle Paul gave to the church in Galatians. And it is quite an expressive warning. He gave it 2,000 years ago. It has stood that long. And if the Lord tarries another 8,000, it will stand 10,000 years. And this warning involves all four of these elements. Rudimentary, cautionary, basic, and complex information. Crazy how it seems like the Sandia Laboratories read Colossians chapter 2 and said, that's what we've got to do. So let's just get into it. You cannot understand what we just read, starting in verse 16, without going back to verse 15. By the way, you've heard this before. I've shared it a number of times. You've heard other Bible teachers say the same thing. When you find a therefore in Scripture, like we do in verse 16... That is always an invitation to look behind you, to check your back trail. Turn around and look at what was just said. Anytime you come across a therefore, it will be disconnected if you don't go backwards. So we have to go backwards, at least one verse. So let's go back to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's powerful teaching. It is powerful teaching. Want to find the full depth of power? Then we've got to break it down. There's certain things that you have to understand, starting with the first word, he. That means that we have to figure out exactly who Paul is talking about when he uses that word, he. Now, here it is up on the scripture, or up on the screen. He means God. That's speaking of God. But now, let's go down to the end of the verse. He, God, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So in my translation of the Bible, the English Standard Version, we see in him. Some of you may have a translation open right now in your hands that says something totally different. It says, in it. Now, if you're holding on to a translation like the English Standard Version that says, in him, you're going to see a footnote connotation that will direct you down to the bottom of the page, and more than likely, you will see the words, in it, or it will simply say, it, and then probably in parentheses after that, it will say, the cross. So, here's what you need to know, in him means Jesus. In it means the cross. Now, if you're really a student of the Bible, that's, that's kind of confusing. Which is it? Is it Jesus or is it the cross? The interesting answer to that is both. It is both. This is not a contradiction in the Bible. The translators can go either direction with the original language. I really like what the New Living Translation does with their version of this same passage. Watch how they use both. Take a look. 
In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. See how they used both? The New Living Translation said, let's just skip the potential controversy or contradiction and we'll put both into this passage. This is powerful teaching, folks. Look at this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. If you take nothing else with you today, you take this. God has granted you the victory through his son, Jesus Christ, over the entire dominion of darkness, all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. He defeated on the cross and he gave you, me, all of us, the victory through his son, Jesus, and what he did on the cross. That's powerful teaching. If you get nothing else out of what we're talking about today, you get that. You have the victory. Now, this is rudimentary and it is cautionary in nature, but really it's, it's basic. And for some people, it is complex. This passage, this one verse, captures all four of those elements just in this one verse. Everything else that we read after it will break those things down, but this one captures all of that. It is so cool. It is so cool the way that works. What God did for us, it is remarkable. Folks, it is remarkable. I love the way the NLT, let's go back to that, Chelsea. I love the way the NLT says this. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. When the Bible tells us that Jesus shamed them publicly, meaning all of those spiritual forces of evil, he shamed them publicly. By doing that, he dealt with one of the primary emotions that we wrestle with in sin. Interestingly, that wrestling match often happens privately. We wrestle with it privately. That primary emotion is shame. People that have battled against all kinds of different sins, but especially the ones that are ongoing, know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a sense of shame that plagues you privately. It's something that you don't want to talk about with other people. You don't want to talk about in, in polite circles. You're just ashamed by the things that you have done. Researchers have studied the power of that in people's lives, and here's what they've come up with. When a person feels shame, he or she feels small, worthless, or powerless. A lot of the self-esteem issues that folks deal with in modern society begin in shame. A lot of the self-esteem issues that people battle with in the church begin in shame. And that's why it is so significant that Jesus, when he defeated the spiritual forces of evil, he put them to shame. He transferred all of that away from you so that you do not have to carry it any longer. You don't have to feel powerless and small or worthless. You don't have to. In fact, he gives us the antithesis of that when he tells us how he sees us. This is found in the book of 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, but take a look. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God? 
And so we are. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have trusted your life and your salvation to Him, you are His child. That's how He sees you. If you see yourself through a lens of shame, believing that you never measure up, that you are still worthless because of your sin, my friends, what you're saying is that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough. If you can't get to a place where you can accept that you are a child of God, you're saying that Jesus' death wasn't enough. I want you to listen to me on this. Really listen, dial in. Jesus' death on the cross was enough. It was enough. So just stop carrying around some of the stuff that you've carried for a long time. Get rid of the shame. Get rid of the private wrestling match because Jesus gave it to the devil publicly and said, now you deal with it. You deal with it. He publicly defeated him. I just found out a few minutes ago with the guys that I pray with that in the the message version of the Bible, I didn't look it up this past week, but in the message version, Eugene Peterson says that, and this is Phil's paraphrase of Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, that what, what really happened is God stripped it, the devil naked publicly and marched him through the streets and put all of our shame on him. So live like a child of God. Live like a child of God. Live free like a child of God. Now with that understanding... Let's go back into Colossians chapter 2, the passage that we just read. We're going to start in verse 16 again, and here you're going to see rudimentary and cautionary elements of information. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ." That is rudimentary, and it is cautionary. Remember, rudimentary means something man-made is here. Cautionary means something man-made is here, and it is dangerous. Both of those elements are captured in this statement. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Don't let people judge you. Don't let people judge you. That was a huge issue in the church in Colossae because of the Gnostic influence that was there. If you've been in this whole study with us, you know about the Gnostics. Here it is again, just a a 30-foot or 30,000-foot overview of it. They were taking elements of faith systems and beliefs, putting them together to create what they believed was a greater knowledge of the things of God. So they started with Oriental mysticism. They put a a smattering of of astrology in that. It's kind of like a stew. You have these different elements. So one element was Oriental mysticism with just a bit of astrology. And then they added some philosophy to it, just popular thinking of the day. They grabbed hold of another element from Christianity, so that was the third element, and then they grabbed a fourth element of Jewish legalism, threw it in a pot and stirred it together, and they thought they had really figured something out. That was their stew, but it was a mess, complete and total mess. 
And so Paul was having to warn the believers then and believers today to avoid that kind of mess. And right now he's dealing with the Jewish legalism side of it saying, don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody judge you according to what you eat or the celebrations that you participate in. Those come from the Old Testament. That's the old law. We're going to measure things by Jesus today. We're going to make sure that we're holding on to this. Well, the Gnostics were saying that if you're going to be a believer in Jesus, you still have to practice all of this Old Testament legalistic law-based faith. You must attach that to your new grace-based faith. And they were placing a burden on people, absolute burden on people. Then you might have noticed that in the passage that we read, there was this interesting term about the aesthetics or asceticism, and that might have made you scratch your head a little bit thinking, what, what exactly is that? Well, that was legalism on steroids, best way to put it. It was legalism taking to the furthest extent. Here's a pretty good way of understanding it. Aesthetics or ascetics renounce worldly pleasures that distract from spiritual growth and enlightenment and live a life of abstinence and extreme self-denial. Ascetics do not necessarily believe that the flesh is evil, but they do go to great lengths to deny the flesh in order to transform the mind or free the spirit. Historically, asceticism has involved fasting, exposing oneself to heat or cold, sleep deprivation, and even self-mutilation. The folks that practiced that type of belief, and by the way, there's a new modern move called modern asceticism that's bringing all of this back. That's the significance of this warning lasting 2,000 years and beyond as long as it takes for Jesus to come back. That's the, the power of this warning because these folks said, I cannot accept that what Jesus did on the cross was enough. So I have to torture myself. I have to punish myself. I have to burden myself. I have to do all these different things according to the Old Testament law and even the man-made portions of it. I have to attach that to my faith because Jesus wasn't enough. You're going to hear a theme as we make our way through this morning. He was. Jesus' death on the cross was enough. So you have to be careful of this type of thing. And that's what Paul meant when he said, don't let anybody judge you by this. Don't let anybody judge you by this. There are other places in the Bible where we would actually have biblical writers saying that to attach the Old Testament law to New Testament Christianity is a yoke of slavery. It is not what God intended. Look at what Paul said to the church in Galatia. We're going to go on to Galatians chapter 5, Chelsea. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's how Paul would describe the Old Testament law attached to Christianity. Peter would use the same type of terminology in the book of Acts. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Acts chapter 15. And so when Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, 
You don't let anybody judge you this way. It's following the whole teaching of the Bible. Don't let anybody pull you in. Don't let anybody pull you in to that old way of thinking, that legalistic way of thinking where they're putting a burden on you. I like what Paul says in verse 17. Did you catch it? Here it is again. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. Rather than using the term yoke of slavery, he says these are a shadow. These are just a shadow, and they are. Jesus made this statement in John chapter 10, verse 10. You saw it just a minute ago. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. To attach the Old Testament law and legalism to New Testament grace is to allow the thief to come in and steal, kill, and destroy what Jesus brought to us. He brought great freedom, not legalism. One level of the great freedom that Jesus brought to us, and it is so wonderful, is the freedom to give up freedoms for the sake of other people's walk with Christ. That's how deep the freedoms in Christ go. We are free to even give up freedoms so that others can grow in the Lord. And that's something that happens as we mature in the Lord to recognize that there are certain things that are permissible for me, but it's not beneficial for others. So I'm not going to do these things, not for my sake, but for the sake of others. That isn't a yoke of bondage or a yoke of slavery. That's a freedom in Christ to love God and to love others. You see why this is, is so intriguing yet important in the realm of warnings. Don't let anybody judge you. Don't let anybody put a yoke of slavery on you. All that is is a shadow. It is just a shadow. And you have come into the light. I like the way Jesus says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We walk in the light. Walk in the light, my friends. Don't let anybody judge you and pull you backwards. Walk in the light. Now, let's keep moving. We could bog down there all day long. I'd be happy to preach till five o'clock tonight on that subject. We'll just, we'll keep going though. Look at this, verse 18. Here's the next warning. It is rudimentary. It is cautionary. But what you are about to see is that it also moves into the realm of the basic and the complex. Here we go. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Now, we're about to jump into the deep end of the pool, and we're not going to stay there very long because it's a dangerous place to be. Here's what Paul's talking about. The church in Colossa was up against these Gnostic people that, remember, their first 
their first part in their stew was Oriental mysticism. One of the things that they would tell people is that they had had experiences with God apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. That they had seen angels and had had long conversations with angels. They were dabbling in the spiritual realm and they had had these experiences, therefore those experiences elevated them above everyone else. And so now Paul is giving us a very direct warning to be careful of that type of influence. People that would come to us and say that they have talked to angels and angels brought this message or angels brought that message is a dangerous thing. The writer of the book of Hebrews will talk a great deal about the fact that Jesus is higher than the angels. You be careful of angel worship. You be careful of people that come to you saying, this angel did this for me, or this spirit did this for me, or I had this experience in the spiritual realm, and it doesn't match the Word of God, it does not match the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was not involved in it, but I still believe it. Folks, if it doesn't match the Word of God, and you know that the Spirit of God is not in it, then it is coming from the spiritual realm, but it is not from God. And so we have to be very, very careful about these things. This is the basic side of the information that we need to grab hold of and be warned about. The who, what, when, where, why, how, all of those things. Satan is going to come masquerading, masquerading as an angel of light. Satan will come in physical ways for some people because they have opened the doors to make this possible. Satan will come in such a way that you will believe that you have a spirit of God standing in front of you. You don't. You don't. The spirit of the Lord resides within you. The word of God directs you into the deep things of God. If you have somebody coming telling you about a spirit that spoke to them, you take a step back and start praying rapidly. Now, if there is something in your life that is opening the door towards that type of thing, shut it. Shut it as quickly as you can. I'm going to say this, and I'm going to run the risk of people pushing back on me, and that's okay. You push back on me. You be careful of the books that you read. You be careful of the music you listen to. You want an example of that? Just a few weeks ago at the Grammy Awards, they gave four full minutes to the glorification of Satan. There was a musician that came out glorifying the demonic you be careful of the music you listen to, the movies that you watch. You be careful of the things that you get interested in and even the games that you play online. Listen to me, young people. You be careful of those things because closing the door is much more difficult than opening the door. So keep the door closed. And to parents, listen to me. You keep the door closed for your children because once it's opened, slamming it shut again is very hard. So keep the door closed. Make sense? Shake your head yes. It's okay to say amen. And you can push back against me later if you want to and say, well, Phil, it sounds like you're judging me against my music and my movies. I'm not. I'm not. The Word of God is. So you let the Word of God judge that. And if it needs to be cut out of your life, then you get that out. Or your movies, or your books, or your gaming, whatever the case might be. Understanding the need for that, it's 
quite interesting when we recognize the depth of teaching that Paul gave to the church in Ephesus, which was only about a hundred miles away from the church in Colossae. He gave them a complex diagram for how to keep the door closed. That's that fourth element of information, the complex diagram. I'll show you what I'm talking about if you'll join me in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you're a bold note taker in your Bible, you might want to write complex information right next to this, because that's what this is. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's basic information right there. That's the who, what, when, where, why. Here's the complex. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. That's complex information. Given to the church in Ephesus and the church in Colossae and all the churches in Asia Minor because the Gnostics were moving through that area bringing a dangerous message. And just beneath the surface, Paul was saying, there is a problem here. This is man-made and it is dangerous. Be careful of it. Be careful of it. It was true then, and folks, a warning like that doesn't last 2,000 years without still having truth today, and it has truth today. And that's why the therefore of verse 16 is so important, because it directs us back to who Jesus is. It takes us back to Jesus. I love in Colossians chapter 2 how Paul wrapped up that whole section for us. He's talking about all these things that we've just laid out. He said, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The stew that the Gnostics were putting out did nothing to transform anyone's life. That belongs to Jesus, and he does it well. He does it well if we trust him with our life, with our soul, with our salvation, with everything that we have. He makes old things new. He restores life. He regenerates brokenness. He brings back what is good. Trust Jesus. And if you have, then protect that relationship for all your worth for all you are worth.
Some of my favorite stories ever are when people will tell me that they saw somebody at church and they've seen them out and about in the community and they are completely blown away by how they've become a new person. And they'll actually ask at different times, how did that happen? And the only answer is, is Jesus. If you have a story like that where you have been made new in Christ, live it. You're a child of God, live it. Live free in Him, live it. Let everybody else see that, but you guard it. The Apostle John, in his second letter, writes these words. 2 John chapter 4, or chapter 4. There's only one chapter, verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, that's the church, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, verse 8. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teachings has left the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you, let me read that again. Whoever abides in the teaching has, there we go, I don't know where I got left, has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You watch out. You watch out, Paul says, that no one takes from you what we have worked so hard for and what you have received, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 follows that same warning with four elements of information. Beneath the surface of this world, there is danger. So you watch out for it. You watch out for it. Protect yourself against it. But it all begins by watching out for it. If your faith has come under attack, and maybe you're battling some things right now that, that the only thing you can see or acknowledge of it is that it's, it's coming from the spiritual forces of evil, I want to encourage you to go over to our prayer room. Services is going to wrap up in just a minute or two. You go to the prayer room. Somebody will be there to pray with you. Go pray with them. Go and ask God to help you see the dangers that are lurking beneath the surface so that you can avoid them. If you've opened some doors that you know need to get closed, go talk with somebody about that. Maybe you're burdened with something for others that, that you just don't know what to do for them. Go and ask somebody to pray with you about that. Our elders will be over there. We have other decision counselors that will be there. They'll talk with you. Make sure your needs are met. Why don't you stand with me and We'll pray about some of these things. Father in heaven, thank you for this warning that has spanned all these years. It was necessary when Paul wrote it, and it's necessary for us today. So thank you for the warning. I'm glad that John would come behind Paul's writings and give us his own exclamation point, warning us, cautioning us, not to lose what we have gained in you, not to let anybody come in and steal it, 
And the enemy would like to. The thief would like to. So, Father, I pray that you will make us ever vigilant, watching out for the ways that our faith will come under attack and our life will come under attack. Help us battle that, Father. These next few moments are, well, they're holy moments. I pray that those that are under attack will use them wisely and find help in you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.